Chapter 17 of Leatherface, A Tale of Old Flanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Leatherface, A Tale of Old Flanders by Baroness Orxy. Chapter 17, Truth and Perfidy. The cathedral bells of St. Boff's were the first to ring on that unforgettable twenty-third day of October, which was the feast of the Holy Redeemer. The appealing, sweet, melancholy sound came clearly through the humid air. Lenora, who was in her room with Greta, stood quite still for a moment and listened. The bells of St. Ferreld took up the call, then those of St. Jacob and St. Agneton, until the clang of bells echoed from end to end of the city, and drowned every other sound of strife or of misery. The roar of the artillery now was mute. The clash of pikes and lances was no longer heard, only that curious medley of weird and terrible sounds still lingered in the air, a medley made up of sighs and groans, of men falling down exhausted with pain, of masonry still crumbling, and woodwork still sizzling, a medley to which now was added the roll of drums, which on either side called to the men to lay aside their strife and to go and pray in peace. On the walls of the castle-yard the Duke's proclamation of the Lord's Day truce was posted up, and he himself was giving a few brief orders to his captains. Let the men understand, he said, that they are free to go to Mass in the various churches of the city, and that they can do so without the slightest fear but they must all be back inside the Castile precincts by two hours after noon. Let the couriers go to the gatehouses at the six ports and issue the same orders there and have the proclamation posted up. Make it known here, as well as at the ports, that if any man fails to respect the truce, if there is any brawling in the streets, or in the taverns, I shall proceed with merciless severity against the culprits. Then he turned to the captain of the castle guard, Don Sancho de Avila. Yours will be the duty to see that runners are sent out in secret on the Dendermond Road, with orders that any troops which may be on the way make all possible speed. You had best remain in command here while I go to Mass. Keep your picked guard and the musketeers under arms. For the moment that the Dendermond Banderas are in sight, we must be ready to cooperate with them by a sortie en masse. I quite understand, Magnificence, replied the captain. A few moments later the bridge was lowered, and some three thousand men filed out across it in orderly lines as for parade, but unarmed. 
the spanish halberdiers formed the van and the rearguard the walloon pikemen and archers were massed in the centre and in the midst of them walked the duke of alva with his immediate cortege de vargas who had his daughter on his arm and greta close beside her don alberic del rio councillor hessels and two or three other members of the council behind them came the standard-bearers with standards unfurled and the drummers in silence they reached the lines of the oranges which they had to cross in a double file each man holding up his hands to show that he was unarmed the orangist leaders stood by in a group and when the duke and the members of the council had to file through the lines in their turn they stepped forward in order to greet them in amity god guard ye they said as the duke walked by we'll aid him in that retorted the spaniards cynically mark van Rijk was in the forefront of the group at the moment that lenora went by leaning on her father's arm she looked up just then and saw him he held his head erect as he always did but she could not fail to see how completely he had changed in those few hours since last she saw him at dendermond the hours seemed to have gone over him like years gone was that quaint gentle appealing way to which she had so nearly yielded his attitude now was one of lofty defiance sublime in its unshakable determination and in its pride well perhaps it was better so was he not the embodiment of everything that lenora had been taught to hate and despise since her tenderest childhood the despised race that dared to assert itself the beneficiary who turned on the hand that loaded him with gifts and above all the assassin who cowered in the dark the slave who struck his master whom he dared not defy yes mark van Rijk, her husband the murderer of ramon stood for all that and lenora despised herself for every tender feeling which had gripped her soul in the past two days whenever she thought of him as wounded helpless or mayhap dead and yet now when his eyes met hers they suddenly took on a wonderful softness that quaint look half whimsical half appealing came back to them and with it too a look of infinite pity and of unswerving love and as she caught the glance she who felt so lonely and so desolate there came to her mind the remembrance of the sweet and pathetic story of the primeval woman who was driven forth by god's angel from the gates of paradise somehow she felt that once not so very long ago she too had wandered for a brief while within the peaceful glades of a paradise of her own and that now an angel with a flaming sword stood at its gates and would not allow her to return but forced her to wander out through life 
in utter loneliness and with the unbearable load of agonizing remorse of all the episodes which the historical records of the time present to the imagination not one perhaps is quite so moving and so inspiring as that of the solemn mass which was offered up in every church of the stricken city on this sunday morning the feast of the holy redeemer when the duke of alva and the members of his odious blood council knelt side by side with the heroic men who were making their last desperate stand for justice for liberty and the sanctity of their homes the lieutenant-governor and the spanish high dignitaries both civil and military are present in the cathedral of st baths as are also the orangist leaders the spaniards occupy one side of the aisle the flemings with the women and children are on the other and crowd every corner of the stately edifice up at the high altar father vanderschlick is officiating with others of the cathedral clergy and the pure voices of the choir boys resound through the building like the call of the angels of peace the fabric of the exquisite building bears traces of that awful fate which an abominable tyranny was reserving for the entire city the walls themselves stand but in places they are torn by large fissures which look like gaping wounds in the flesh of a giant reverend hands have hastily swept aside the debris of glass and masonry the fragments of stone statues and scraps of iron and wood but here and there the head of an angel the clasped hands of a saint or palm of a martyr still litter the floor the slender columns of the aisle have taken on a curious rusty tint and over the screen the apostles of carved wood are black with smoke there are two large holes in the roof through which the bleak october breeze comes sighing in and the sweet smell of stale incense which usually hangs about the place of worship has yielded to the pungent odor of charred wood and of singed draperies on the flemish side a dull tone of color prevails browns and russets and dull reds many women have wrapped black hoods over their heads and long black mantles hang from their shoulders but on the other side the fantastic garb of the spanish halberdiers throws a note of trenchant yellow right through the sombre tint of the picture and the white ruffs round the men's necks gleam like pale stars upon the canvas and over it all the light through the broken window falls crude and gray only the chancel glows with a warm light and father vanderschlick's vestments of crimson silk the gilt candlesticks upon the high altar the flickering yellow flames of the candles the red cassocks of the young servers all form a kaleidoscope of brilliant colors which is almost dazzling whilst up above the banners and coats of arms of the knights of the golden fleece still flaunt their rich heraldic 
tints against the dark vaulting of the roof and above the high altar the figure of the redeemer with arms stretched out to bless seems to mock by its exquisite pathos and peace the hideous strifes of men the church is crowded from end to end flemings and walloons and spaniards the tyrants and the oppressed all kneel together while father van der schlick up at the altar softly murmurs the confidior some have rough linen bandages round their head or arm some have ugly stains upon their doublet or hose others unable to stand or lean lie half prone upon the ground supported by their comrades the duke of alva holds his head erect and signor de vargas bows his down until it well nigh touches the ground most of the women are crying some of them faint and have to be carried away the spaniards are more demonstrative in their devotions than are the netherlanders they strike their breasts at the confidior with wide ostentatious gestures and need much elbow-room when they make the sign of the cross at the reading of the gospel every one stands and men women and children solemnly make profession of that faith of love and good-will which the events of the past two days have so wantonly outraged lenora from where she stands can see her husband's head with its closely cropped brown hair towering above the rest of the crowd he does not look to right or left of him but gazes fixedly upon the altar lenora can see his lips moving as he recites the creed and to her straining senses it seems as if right through the murmurings of all these people she can distinguish his voice amongst all the others and that it strikes against her heart with sweet persistence of unforgettable memories and suddenly the high altar with the figure of the redeemer fades from her sight the crowds vanish the priest disappears the voices of the choir-boys are stilled she is back once more in the small tapperage of the inn at dendermond sitting beside the hearth with mark her husband half kneeling half sitting close to her she lives again those few moments of dreamlike peace and joy when he lulled her with gentle words and tender glances which had shown her the first glimpse of what human happiness might be and she lives again the moment when she stood in that same room with his wounded arm in her hand and realized that he was the cowardly assassin who had struck ramon down in the dark god in heaven was not her hatred of him justified even at the foot of this altar where all should be peace and good-will had she not the right to hate this one man who had murdered ramon who had fooled and cajoled her and used her as an insentient tool for his own ends his own amusement her father had told her that she would see him hanged and that his death would be her work under the guidance of god not one moment of the past 
would she undo and she regretted nothing save the moments of weakness which came over her whenever she met his glance he was the leader of these abominable rebels a leader every inch of him that she could see but yet a murderer for all that and the deadly enemy of her country and her king god had had his will with her and now he was dealing punishment with equal justice to all and lenora standing there shivering under the cold draught which came on her from the shattered roof yet inwardly burning with a fever of regret and of longing marvelled if among the thousands that would suffer through god's retributive justice any one would endure the martyrdom which she was suffering now later on during the noonday rest lenora sat in her room in the meest torren and tried to visualize once more all that she had lived through in the past hour her meeting with mark when she went through the orangest lines with her father the crowded church the sombre colors the pathetic aspect of broken statuary and holy images charred and shattered the return to the castile in silence the outline of mark's profile above the crowd mark always mark if only she could forget the air in the narrow room felt stuffy and oppressive she ordered greta to open the window it gave on the same iron balcony to which the council chamber and the apartments of the duke of alva had access but as it was high up in the wall and very small she could sit quite close beside it and yet not be seen by any one who might be walking on the balcony lenora's head ached intolerably and greta always kind and anxious took down the wavy masses of fair hair and brushed them gently so as to soothe the quivering nerves a strange hush hung in the air the hush of a sunday afternoon when a big and peaceful city is at rest a hush in strange and almost weird contrast to the din which had shaken up the very atmosphere during the past two days only from the castle yard down below there comes the sad sound of groans and sighs of pain and an occasional call for donna lenora with the cool soft hands and the gentle voice the ministering angel of goodness and consolation greta queried lenora abruptly dost love me truly with my whole heart noble lady replied the child simply then if thou lovest me didst pray at mass this morning for the success of our cause and the confusion of those abominable rebels greta made no reply and anon a low suppressed sob caused lenora to say not unkindly thy heart is with the rebels greta i know most of their leaders noble lady murmured the girl through her tears they are brave fine men when i think of those who surely must die after this i feel as if my heart must break with sorrow and with pity didst know them well ay noble lady they used to come to the three weavers 
the three weavers greta ay my father kept the tavern here in ghent the noble signors of the city and the spanish officers of the garrison all used to come to us in the afternoons monsieur jan van migrode the chief sheriff monsieur levin van danes and the signor de beauvois they all came regularly and and monsieur mark van Rijk, she added under her breath him they call leatherface my husband greta murmured lenora i know it noble lady dis know then that monsieur mark van Rijk was leatherface not till yesterday noble lady not till the men spoke of it and said that the mysterious leatherface was the leader of the rebels and that he was the son of the high bailiff of ghent monsieur mark van Rijk. thou didst know him too then as leatherface i noble lady said greta quietly he saved my life and my sister's i would give mine to save him now save thy life how when only a few days ago noble lady murmured the child speaking with a great effort at self-control the recollection of that awful night brought fresh terror to her heart but lenora's brows contracted now in puzzlement a few days ago mark was courting her then i do not understand she said impatiently a few days ago leatherface monsieur mark van Rijk, was in ghent i was betrothed to him on the seventh day of this month and tis on that night he saved my life and katrine's ay and saved us from worse than death she paused abruptly her round young cheeks lost their last vestige of color her eyes their clear childlike look she cast a quick furtive glance on lenora as if she were afraid but lenora was unconscious of this change in the girl's manner her very senses seemed to be on the alert hanging upon the peasant girl's lips the night of her betrothal was the night on which ramon was murdered the tavern of the three weavers was the place where he was found this girl then knew something of that awesome occurrence which despite outside assurances had remained vaguely puzzling to lenora's mind now she would hear and know and her very heart seemed to stand still as her mind appeared to be waiting upon the threshold of a mystery which was interwoven with her whole life and with her every hope of peace but what she queried with agonized impatience speak girl canst not see that i only live to hear our father was taken said greta quietly he was hanged eight days ago hanged exclaimed lenora horror-struck why what had he done he was of the protestant faith and lenora made no comment and the girl wiped her eyes which had filled with tears thou and katrine were spared asked lenora after a while we were spared at the time said greta but i suppose she added with quaint philosophy 
we remained objects of suspicion. The soldiers would often be very rough with us, and upon the seventh day of October, the commanding Spanish officer in Ghent, once more she paused timidly, fear of having said too much, fighting with the childish love to retail her woes and pour her interesting story into sympathetic ears. Well, queried Lenora, more impatiently, go on, child. What did the commanding Spanish officer in Ghent do to thee on the seventh day of October? But at this Greta burst into a flood of tears. The events were so recent, and the shock of horror and of fear had been so terrible at the time, that the recollection of it all still had the power to unnerve her. Lenora, whose own nerves were cruelly on the rack at this moment, had much ado to keep her impatience in check. After a few moments Greta became more calm and dried her eyes. There was a big to-do at the townhouse, she said more quietly, and the whole city was gaily decorated. The apprentices had a holiday in the evening. They were very hilarious, and so were the soldiers. Well, and the soldiers came to the three weavers. They had been drinking heavily and were very rough. The commanding Spanish officer came in late in the evening. He encouraged the soldiers to drink and to make fun of us, of Katrine and of me. We were all alone in the house, and we were very frightened. The Spanish officer ordered Katrine to wait on the soldiers. Then he made me go with him to a private room. The tears were once more very near the surface, and a hot blush of shame for all that she had had to endure overspread Greta's face and neck. "'Go on, child,' queried Lenora. "'What happened after that?' "'The Spanish officer was very cruel to me, noble lady. "'I think he would have killed me, "'and I am sure the soldiers were very cruel to Katrine. "'Oh, it was horrible, horrible,' she cried, "'and we were quite alone and helpless. "'Yes, I know that,' said Lenora, "'and even to herself her own voice sounded curiously dull and toneless, but tell me what happened. I was crouching in a corner of the room, noble lady. My back ached terribly, for I had been thrown across the table, and I thought my spine must be broken. My wrists, too, were very painful, where the noble officer had held them so tightly. I was half wild with terror, for I did not know what would become of me. Then the door opened, and a man came in. Oh, I was dreadfully frightened. He was very tall and very thin, like a dark wraith, and over his face he had a mask, and he spoke kindly to me, and after a while I was less frightened, and then he told me just what to do, how to find Katrine, to take some money and run away to our kinswoman, who lives in Dendermond. I thought then that he was no wraith, continued Greta in an awestruck whisper, but just one of the archangels, for they do appear in curious disguises sometimes. He saved my life and Katrine's, and more than life, noble lady, added the girl, 
with a note of dignity in her tone which sat quaintly upon her timid little person do you not think that it was god who sent him to protect two innocent girls from the cruelty of those wicked men yes i think so child said lenora quietly but tell me dost know what happened after that no lady i do not i went to look for katrine just as the stranger ordered me to do but she added under her breath and still under the spell of past terrors we heard afterwards through pierre buters the butcher that the noble seigneur commandant was found killed that same night in the tavern of the three weavers the provost found him lying dead in the same room where the archangel had appeared stabbed child didst thou say no noble lady the provost told pierre buters that the noble spanish commandant had been felled by mighty hands in a hand-to-hand -hand fight he had no wound on him only the marks of powerful fingers round his throat but his own dagger they say was covered in blood pierre buters helped to place the body in the coffin and he said that the noble spanish commandant had been killed in fair fight a fight with fists and not with swords he also said that the stranger who killed him was the mysterious leatherface of whom we hear so much and that mayhap we should never hear of him again for the spanish commandant must have wounded him to death the dagger was covered with blood almost to the hilt but concluded greta with a knowing little nod of the head this i did not believe at the time and now i know that it was not so the stranger may not have been one of the archangels but truly he was a messenger of god when the noble lady brought me back with her to ghent i heard the men talking about the mysterious leatherface then the day before yesterday when the cavalrymen flew helter-skelter into the castle-yard they still talked loudly of leatherface but i guessed then that he was not a real archangel but just a brave man who protects the weak and fights for justice and she paused terrified at what she had said ignorant as she was she knew well enough that the few last words which she had uttered had caused men and women to be burned at the stake before now wide-eyed and full of fear she looked on the noble spanish lady expecting every moment to see a commanding finger pointed on her and orders given for her immediate arrest instead of which she saw before her a pale slim girl scarce older than herself and infinitely more pathetic just a young and beautiful woman with pale face and eyes swimming in tears whose whole attitude just expressed an immense and overwhelming grief the veil of mystery which had hung over ramon's death had indeed been lifted at last by the rough uncouth hands of the innkeeper's daughter lenora as yet hardly dared to look into the vista which it opened up before her boundless remorse utter hopelessness 
the dreary sense of the irreparable all that lay beyond the present stunning blow of this terrible revelation god in heaven she cried out mutely in her misery how could she ever have thought even for a moment that those grey eyes so merry and yet so tender could mask a treacherous and cowardly soul how could she think that those lips which so earnestly pleaded for a kiss could ever have been framed to hide a lying tongue would to god that she could still persuade herself that all this new revelation was a dream that greta the unsophisticated child had lied and concocted the whole story to further some hidden schemes of her own would to god she could still believe that mark was vile and false an assassin and a perjurer and that she could hate him still she met greta's eyes fixed so fearfully upon hers she met them at the moment when she was about to give herself over to the transient happiness of a brief daydream dreams of two unforgettable hours when he sat beside her with his hand shading his face his eyes resting upon her dreams of his voice when he said when i look at you madonna i invariably think of happiness but greta recalled her to herself and to the awful present despite her great respect for the noble spanish lady she suddenly put her arms round her shoulders and tried to draw her away from the open window his highness she whispered hurriedly he will see us what matters child murmured lenora he will not harm us instinctively however she did yield to greta's insistence and drew back slightly from the window from the balcony down below there came the sound of measured tramping two or three men were walking there slowly up and down and talking confidentially together while they walked whenever they were close to the window their voices came up quite distinctly but it was impossible to hear all that they said but one or two disjointed sentences gave a faint clue to the subject of their conversation lenora now leaned closer to the window frame trying to hear for she had recognized her father's voice as well as that of the duke of alva and they were speaking of their future plans against the rebels and against the city and lenora felt that she would give her life to know what those plans were after a moment or two she heard the voice of captain de avila he was apparently coming up the iron stairs from the yard and was speaking hurriedly a runner your highness he said straight from dendermond what news queried the duke and his voice sounded almost choked as if with fierce impatience one of captain ladrano's messengers reached dendermond last night replied de avila he was lucky enough to get a horse almost at once well and this man came running straight back to bring us the news captain bracamonte started at break of day he should be well on his way with the reinforcements by now 
there was a hoarse exclamation of satisfaction and a confused murmur of voices for a moment or two then de vargas spoke it was a bold venture monsignor he said this truce you mean retorted alva well not quite so bold as it appeared those netherlanders are such mighty fools that it is always easy to make them believe anything that we choose to tell them do they not always fall into our traps i had only to swear by my immortal soul that we had not sent for reinforcements and the last of their resistance was overcome lenora could hear her father's harsh laugh after this and then del rio said blandly van Rijk did not believe in that oath perhaps not at first alva said but it was so finely worded and spoken with such solemnity it was bound to carry conviction in the end you were not afraid monsignor queried de vargas this morning in the crowd after mass that the rebels would break the truce and fall upon our men no replied the duke curtly were you there came no answer from de vargas and to the listeners it seemed as if by his silence he was admitting that he did not believe the oranges capable of such abominable treachery a fine tribute that lenora thought from her father who hated and despised the netherlanders but he and alva would even now call such loyalty and truth the mere stupidity of uncultured clowns anyhow it was worth the risk de vargas resumed after a while with that cold cynicism which will sacrifice friends adherents kindred for the furtherance of political aims well worth the risk asserted alva we have gained the whole of to-day if these rebels had rushed the castile this morning i verily believe that we could not have held it i might have fallen into their hands and with me as their hostage they would by now have been in a position to dictate their own terms before reinforcements reached us always supposing that they did not murder us all yes he reiterated with obvious satisfaction even if treachery had been in the air it was still well worth the risk and in the meanwhile suggested del rio in the meanwhile bracamonte is on his way here he must have started well before noon he might be here before nightfall with at least five thousand men i hope added de vargas night may see us masters of this city once more signors rejoined alva and by god will punish those rebels for the fright they have given us ghent will be envying mons and mechlin the three men walked slowly away after that and their voices were lost in the distance the listeners could no longer distinguish what was said but anon a harsh laugh struck their ear and leaning out of the window lenora could see the duke and her father standing just outside the council chamber the duke had thrown back his head and was laughing heartily de vargas too looked highly amused not one single word of remorse or regret had been spoken by either of them 
for the blasphemous oath which had finally overcome the resistance of the orangists of a truth it did not weigh on the conscience of the man who had so wantonly outraged his maker less than an hour before he knelt at the foot of his altar and de vargas and his kind were only too ready to benefit by the perjury the sack of ghent jeopardized for a few hours was once more looming ahead as a coveted prize what was a false oath or so one crime the more when weighed in the balance with all the money and treasure which the unexpected resistance of a few flemish clowns had so nearly wrenched from these noble spaniards grasp dis here came in a smothered whisper from lenora she had turned suddenly and now faced greta who stood wide-eyed and terrified in the centre of the room her arms were behind her and she clung to the window-ledge her fair hair all loose streamed round her shoulders pale with glowing eyes and quivering lips she looked like some beautiful feline creature at bay dis here she reiterated hoarsely every word most noble lady came the whispered response what didst make of it that his highness sent to dendermond for help and that troops are on their way but his highness swore most solemnly that he would respect the truce which he himself asked for and that both sides would resume the fight this evening just as they were before without fresh help or reinforcements i heard the men say last night noble lady that reinforcements had already been sent for from dendermond the duke feared that the netherlanders were getting the upper hand he asked for the truce only to gain time then if captain bracamonte arrives from dendermond with fresh troops the netherlanders are lost god guard them said greta fervently he alone can save them now oh cried lenora with sudden passionate bitterness how can men conceive such abominable treachery how can god allow them to triumph greta said nothing her eyes were full of tears lenora stared straight out before her into the dark corner of the room there was a frown of deep thought between her brows and her fresh young mouth became hard and set greta she said abruptly is it not horrible to think that those we care for are liars and traitors then as greta made no reply she continued with the same passionate vehemence is it not horrible to think that brave men must be butchered like cattle because they trusted in the oath of a perjurer oh that all the baseness all the lying should be on one side and all the heroism on the other and that god should allow those monsters to triumph she paused and suddenly her whole expression changed the vehemence the passion went out of it her lips ceased to quiver a curious pallor overspread her cheeks and the lines of her mouth became hard and set greta she said abruptly art afraid of what noble lady asked the child 
oh of everything of insults and violence and death no noble lady said greta simply i trust to god to protect me then wilt come with me whither noble lady into the city alone with me we'll pretend that we go to benediction into the city exclaimed the girl alone art afraid no then put up my hair and get hood and cloak and give me mine greta did as she was ordered she pinned up lenora's fair hair and brought her a mantle and hood and wrapped them round her then she fastened on her own come said lenora curtly she took the girl by the hand and together the two women went out of the room their way led them through endless corridors and down a long winding staircase hand in hand they ran like furtive little animals on the watch for the human enemy down below the big flagged hall was full of soldiers the two women only realized this when they reached the last landing will they let us pass murmured greta walk beside me and hold thy head boldly said lenora they must not think that we are afraid of being challenged she walked down the last flight of the stairs with slow majestic steps her arms folded beneath her cloak looking straight ahead of her with that air of calm detachment and contempt of others which the spanish noblesse know so well how to assume captain de avila was below at sight of donna lenora he came forward and said with absolute respect la senora desires to go out as you see she replied haughtily not further than the precincts of the castile i hope what is that to you whither i go she queried my orders he stammered somewhat taken aback by this grand manner on the part of the senora who had always been so meek and silent hitherto what orders have you had senor captain she queried which warrant your interference with my movements i truly he murmured senor de vargas my father i presume has not given you the right to question my freedom to go and come as i please she retorted still with the same uncompromising hauteur no but then i pray you let me pass i hear the bells of st ferald i shall be late for benediction she swept past him leaving him not a little bewildered and completely abashed he watched her tall graceful figure as she sailed through the portico and thence across the castle yard then he shrugged his shoulders as if to cast aside any feeling of responsibility which threatened to worry him and returned to the guard-room and to his game of hazard it was only then that he recollected that it lacked another two hours to benediction yet in the yard lenora had more serious misgivings there's the guard at the gatehouse she murmured keep up thy look of unconcern greta we can only win if we are bold as she anticipated the provost at the gatehouse challenged her i go to st ferald she said calmly my father is with me he hath stopped to speak with captain de avila lower the bridge provost 
and let us pass we are late enough for benediction as it is the provost hesitated for a moment the signor captain sent me orders just now that no one was to leave the castile he said am i under the signor captain's orders she retorted or the daughter of signor de vargas who will punish thee sirrah for thine insolence the provost much disturbed in his mind had not the courage to run counter to the noble lady's wish he had had no orders with regard to her and as she very rightly said she was not under the orders of the signor captain he ordered the bridge to be lowered for her vaguely intending not to let her pass until he assured himself that signor de vargas was nigh but lenora gave him no time for reflection she waited until the bridge was down then suddenly she seized greta's hand and quick as a young hare she darted past the provost and the guard before they thought of laying hands on her and she was across the bridge before they had recovered from their surprise once on the open ground lenora drew breath the provost and the guard could not very well run after her and for the moment she was safe from pursuit on ahead lay the sharp bend of the lower shelled beyond it the ruined mass of the vlieshaus and the row of houses now all shattered to pieces where the oranges held their watch her heart was beating furiously and she felt greta's rough little hand quivering in hers she felt such a tiny atom a mere speck in this wide open space in front of her was the city which seemed even in the silence of this sunday afternoon to be quivering in the throes of oncoming death to right and left of her the great tract of flat country this land of belgium which she had not yet learned to love but for which she now felt a wonderful pity it was a rude lesson which she had been made to learn within the last hour the lesson that the idols of her childhood and girlhood had not only feet of clay but that they were steeped to the neck in the mire of falsehoods and treachery she had also learned that the man whom she had once hated with such passionate bitterness was worthy of a pure woman's love that happiness had knocked at the gateway of her own heart and been refused admittance and that god was not wont to give very obvious guidance in the terrible perplexities which at times beset his creatures therefore now she no longer lured herself with the belief that she was acting at this moment under the direct will of god she knew that she was guided by an overmastering and blind instinct which told her that she must see mark at once and warn him that the perfidy of the duke of alva had set a deathly trap for him and for his friends a few more minutes and she and greta were over the kettle bruges and under the shadow 
of the tall houses on the river embankment beyond take me she said to greta peremptorily to the house of the high bailiff of ghent End of chapter seventeen